Hey everybody, welcome to the Phil Crossover Podcast. I am George, and with me today I have a special guest. It's Austin Savage Lester. What's up, man? What's up, George? <laughs> Are you nervous? I'm a little nervous, man. It's this my is first your, time being on a podcast first... ad. Yeah. You know? But uh, Austin is our uh, our media guy. Everything you see on YouTube, uh, Instagram, all that content is uh, he's the man behind the camera. Uh, so very talented guy, self taught. Um, well, I'm, I can't say no more about Austin. Thanks, he, he's he's crushing the content, and uh, it's just so much. We're just trying to keep up, you know, keep your head above water. <laughs> Try, man. It's a tough <laughs> job. I feel like I get yelled at every week by somebody for if somebody needs something and I'm behind, you know. Oh yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, so this podcast is sponsored. Our first sponsor is Killcliff. You can find Killcliff at killcliff.com. Um, what work? Uh, what, what can you say about Killcliff? I I mean, so I'm I'm pretty picky when it comes to to my drinks. Like I I think anyone that knows me would tell you that I'm picky. But uh, there's maybe uh, like one flavor that's not my favorite. Every yeah. other one, I'm just like, oh dang. Yeah, I love the recovers. My favorite. It mine by too. far. Yeah. I mean, those are crushable. I had one day. I think I had three in one day. Oh, morning, afternoon. Oh, I mean, I, that's like my daily routine. You know what I'm saying? You know, like at least three. <laughs> you know, Kill Cove's an all-natural energy drink. You know, no sugar, 15 calories, B vitamins, electrolytes, uh, performance recovery blend. Uh, I love that one. It tastes good. I, I drink it after every workout. And then I also like to throw in the uh, hashtag Kill Cliff Challenge for anyone interested. You started that. I started That's you, it. man. But uh, what it is, basically, I just, I don't know, I was just messing around during a workout. I wanted to see how well the drinks kind of, you know, worked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, they have an Ignite, which is kind of like the pre-workout. It's right. like 150 milligrams of yeah. caffeine. Gets in you it. going. They have, yeah, get you going. And then uh, during the workout, you, you they have a drink called Endure. It's non-carbonated. You take like half of it before and then you drink throughout. So it kind yeah. of keeps your, you know, electrolytes. Yeah, a lot of guys drink it like Gatorade or something. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. But it's better. Um, and then you have the recover at the end. So when you're yeah. all done, you, know, you just drink a recover. And the best part about it is that they came out with the new CBD recover Oof, drinks. Those, uh, are, great. those are, are great. I, I, you know, 25 milligrams of CBD, what more can you ask for in a recovery drink? It's going to help fight that inflammation, pains, aches, all that stuff. So check, uh, Killcliff out at killcliff.com. We have a coupon code, survival10. Survival10 will save you 10% off your order every single time you check out. So check them out at killcliff.com. Our next sponsor is Casey Highlights. Ooh, I love Casey Highlights, man. I actually just went up with uh, our buddy Mike Hernandez and went to their uh, their facility. Up in Williams? Up in Williams, yeah. man. Dude, it's cool, man. It's There's classic a lot of up there, there, man. Yeah. yeah. It's vintage. It's nice. It it's, is. It's the... The company is so, like, everyone that works for that company is great. Everyone I've interacted with is amazing, from Ali to Taylor. Uh, yeah. Who else is up there? I forget uh, the name. I met all the dudes from the shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if if you bought a Casey Highlight in the last three years, those guys touched, touched it and put it know, in there. And they're oh, cool nice. dudes, man. They're all cool. Yeah, so if you're looking for off-road lighting, uh, anything for your rig, I mean, you could put lights on any, any vehicle. Let's just be honest, anything. So if you have a, I don't know, a Ford... Fiesta. Fiesta. There there you go. go. You can duck it out with uh, Casey Highlights. Um, We do have the coupon code. Fieldcraft saves you 10%. One word, Fieldcraft saves you 10%. Just check out Casey Highlights at CaseyHighlights.com. Use code Fieldcraft for 10%. Uh, Our next sponsor is Triarch Systems. Man, when I go to classes with Raul or any of the guys, Mike and uh, 
where I'll, I, you know, I get to kind of stay behind the camera most of the day, but uh, occasionally, you know, I've been known to dabble. But mm-hmm. uh, do the triarch, triarch systems, man. <sighs> They're legit. Yeah, let's not even like pretend that they're. I know their way. It's. I know this. The custom built. I mean, they're built quality built. You. I mean, I know we've ran our triarchs numerous yeah. times, hundreds of rounds. Yeah. Not one malfunction. Yeah, and we we treat them. Everyone here treats them like a tool. Oh, right? yeah. Like some people baby their guns. To Nobody me, hears baby. To me, it's a it's a piece of metal. You're not going to break yep. it unless you know it gets shot or destroyed yeah. or something like that. But yeah. this gun will run. All day, yep. all night, like no matter what. Uh, check out Triarch Systems at triarchsystems.com. We have a coupon code. It's Fieldcraft. One word, Fieldcraft, saves you 5% on your build. They have everything from Tri-11s to Glock, custom Glocks. They have custom carbines. Anything custom you can think of, check them out at triarchsystems.com. Fieldcraft saves you 5%. Next up is Uncana. Uncana is a CBD company. They are veteran-owned, all-natural. They have everything from the tinctures to the salves. Yeah, yeah. Salves, salves. salves. Yeah, they yeah, have well, gel tabs. They have the, uh, I think they have a cream now. I'm not real they sure. They do, man. They do have a cream, I, yeah, yeah, I remember you got some in the mail, and you're like, here, you want this? I don't think you realized you gave me gold, man. Yeah, man. Dude, that stuff is awesome. I, uh, I was putting my uh, kids, I got them... Uh, like uh, beds, like bunk, not bunk beds, but loft beds. Oh, yeah. They're coming for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was putting them together, and I I don't know how I did it, man. I pulled my lower back. Getting old, man. Yeah, no, I pulled my lower back, and I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so I had uh, I had Sarah uh, take it, rub it in there real good for like, she rubbed it in there for like 20 minutes, man. And mm. uh, next day, I mean, it was still a little sore, you know? Yeah. But I was able to move, and I was at the warehouse moving mm-hmm. stuff. So it, it honestly, it, it works. Check them out at uncanna.com. We have a Fieldcraft 20. Use coupon code FIELDCRAFT20 and save 20%. Our last but not least is Bravo Company Manufacturing. You can find them at bravocompanymanufacturing.com. They have a wide variety of custom-made carbines, anything you want to do, triggers, forward grips, uh, rails, rails, everything. everything. I mean, every size, every shape of carbine. Uh, they're built here, right here in America. Shout out to Mike Glover. He is a uh, gunfighter for BCM. Not too many people are gunfighters, so it's a very honored uh, position to get picked for that, which we hold uh, highly here at Fieldcraft Survival. We're very proud to be part of the BCM hey, family. Yeah. Hey, it's Mike Glover. Hey, Mike, what's up? Say hi. Always honest, man. Oh, you guys doing ads? Yeah, oh, we're man. doing them right now. It's oh, my it's my first sure, time. Man. It's a, it's his first time. It's my first time, man. I'm already sweating. Oh, you doing ads? I'm doing. Yeah, I'm on here right now. Are you doing podcast now? Yeah, yeah, I mean maybe. Since you got fired from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you're listening, that's not true. Yeah, if you're listening, also that was Gunfighter Mike Glover, BCM. Check them out at BCM. Uh, or sorry, Bravo, Bravo Manufacturing or. Look at me. I am all messed up right now. Oh, man. Mike comes in and gets everybody worried, you know? There we go. BravoCompanyManufacturing.com. Check them out. Uh, shout out to Paul Buffoni. He's the owner. And also John Chang, Black Powder Red Earth. Check it out if you can. Other than that, our guest today was Tim Herring. Herring? Herring. Herring. So, I'm sorry. Tim, Tim Herring. He is a Albuquerque native. He's based out of uh, Albuquerque. Uh, he's a firearm instructor specializing in competitive pistol shooting. He teaches all levels of shooters from brand new to experienced gunslingers. Uh, what more can I say here? Let's see. What we got my notes here? Tim was a cool guy, man. You he met was, him, right? Yeah, I did. I was here whenever they did the podcast. I sat in for a little bit of it and got some pictures with him and Raul. But he's a cool guy. He's a, like, uh, what I forget the USPA like terms, but he's like 
a champion in three yeah. divisions. Yeah, three divisions. He's a grandmaster. I mean, grandmaster. Yeah, okay, so this guy has he he knows a lot about firearms. So hopefully you learn something and pick something up and take it to the range and practice it. So, but yeah, Raul got to sit down with Tim Heron, uh, talk about shooting, talk about training, uh, how he you know gets involved in his mindset for when he does his competition. So everyone enjoy the show, and we will see you later. Hey folks, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Today I'm your host, Raul, and with me, Tim Heron. Hey, nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. I know we've spent the last two days on the range training. Uh, how are you feeling? Those are long days, man. I'm a little tired. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, dude, I feel good. I feel good. I always, like, no matter how exhausting the class is, and and not exhausting like from a god like herding cats or anything like that. Right, it's right. just just it's long days, right? I mean, we're almost kind of getting close to the heat of the summertime and things yeah. like that. Like, dude, we're high elevation and we're in the desert, so <laughs> you know, a lot of sunshine and you know some breeze and wind. We had awesome weather, but uh, yeah, it ends up being two long days. I, I think I top the class is like sixteen hours. I yeah. think we're pretty close to 20, though. Yeah, this weekend was about day. 20. So about 10 hours a day. Yeah, And you're hustling, man. I'm telling you, you're like running here, running there, <laughs> looking at people, looking across the way at the other bay, like tons of movement from your end. I, I it was, excites me. Like, I, honestly, like just getting to do what I absolutely freaking love to do for a living yeah. now. It just, it excites me so much that I don't know when to stop. And I, I know we had a couple of students yesterday that were like, dude, don't burn yourself out. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you're, and you were kind of one of them, like, dude, take a break, sit down, slow down and eat lunch. You know, it just, <laughs> and, but for me, it's just like, I want, I want to give everybody not just their dollars worth, but I mean, it's an investment of their time and in their life. And I want to give them the, the, the best return on that investment yeah. that I can provide them. And you do, honestly, I, and I know it's long hours, right? It's almost, it was almost <clears throat> 20 hours. And for somebody to give up 20 hours of their life currently is a big deal. Sure. So the return and it's at its full value, man. You, you gave more than what it would be worth. And it was, it was awesome, but let's, <laughs> let's leave that conversation for a little bit later. Sure. Let's get to know you. How everything came to be, yeah. Little toddler oh Tim to, to where we are now, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know it's uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And I need to say the whole the whole name because we were out there and I got grilled. We oh, teach out there often. Kansas and I'm like, City, Kansas. everybody's like Kansas, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, and then I'm like, hey man, I, I'm not from here. I don't know that. That's let right. me uh, teach me. Don't don't beat me That's just right. yet. Uh, like, let me make the mistake after I've learned. And no, they they were hard up, and and then I learned the lesson, and now it's for sure Kansas City, Missouri. Yep, yep. The the prevalent city in the Kansas City area is is on the Missouri side, right? And then <laughs> they share a little bit of the city across the river on the on the Kansas side, and so Kansas City, Kansas, which. But, and that's the people that don't know, you know, people from the Midwest, like KC, and they're like, ah, KC Mo, you know, yeah, Kansas City, Missouri, <laughs> right? But anybody, especially Southwest, like I'm kind of a recent, you know, move person to, to move to, to the Southwest in Albuquerque. And people in Albuquerque are like, oh, you're from Kansas. I'm like, no, I'm from Missouri. Yeah, but you said you were from Kansas City. I'm like, yeah, it's Kansas City, Missouri. And they're like, oh, yeah, so. Yeah, so yeah. you know, and you've, you've dealt with that. Oh, yeah. And uh, man, so oh, what yeah. was it like growing up there? Um, Humid. <laughs> Typical Midwest. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up really, really well. Um, mom and dad, you know, dad worked all the time. Mom's a stay-at-home mom. Um, I'm one of two, so I've got a younger brother. He's about six years, six years younger than me. Um, dude, I had an awesome, 
childhood. I, like, you know, yeah. some people are like, oh, my childhood sucked or oh, my childhood was neat. Like I have that childhood, like, dude, I'm 42 years old now. And I would give, I would give all my appendages if, if it didn't mean that I couldn't walk around and talk, you know what <laughs> I mean? To, to go back and relive my childhood over again. That's awesome. and just the same way it was. I mean, very cool. like, had a lot of friends and you know we lived in a typical like suburban neighborhood i lived just outside in uh kansas city in a little town called independence missouri so just the east side kind of like the largest like subsidiary city of of kansas city area um but yeah i'm born 1977 so i mean i guess i'm 42 years old and 40 years of that existence or 41 years of that existence has been in kansas city yeah so and it's it's a cool area i like visiting there mm -hmm. when i go there i have really great friends there now uh kit and nikki if you guys are listening hi and andy thanks for putting up with me on the range brother <laughs> um, and that, that's kind of where we're, we'll talk about that later as well but getting getting you there because these people that train there they're awesome people and i think they'll benefit hugely from you yeah so i'd I'd love to see that happen, I and would, I'm going to be there. So it's gonna I would be love awesome. that. Oh, man. Dude, it's going to be great. Uh, so, yeah, growing up there, uh, one of two, boy, <laughs> brother or sister? A, a brother. Okay. Yep. A lot of roughhousing and beating, or you guys All, were chill? We were... I'll be honest. <laughs> 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 we got along pretty well, um, you know, but as as little bros can be, uh, you know, if, unless you're a little bro or big bro, you know, like six years between... Or uh, four and a half years between us, sorry. Okay. And so... You know, like, I mean, when I'm 10, he's barely five. So a lot of it was, you know, the whole, like, yeah, get, get away. out of here, kid. You know, <laughs> like, I got my own friends. You do your own thing. And growing up, I mean, he was always, and I love, uh, my brother and I have a fantastic relationship. But, I mean, yeah, like I said, growing up, even teenagers, you know, it was always like, yeah, I hate this kid following me around all the time, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, my mom kind of put it in perspective. She's like, dude, he's, he's young and he wants to be like his big brother yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I've grown to cherish it now, and yeah. I kind of wish maybe I was a little nicer to him when we were younger. <laughs> but yeah, there was definitely some roughhousing and things like that too. So very cool. <clears throat> and so, how how was it then? Uh, high school years. Uh, have you shot by then? Have you shot at this time? No, no, oh, no. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from a, a family like my dad's a, a Vietnam veteran, um, you know, and spent five or six years, you know. Um, Worked as an engineer in the army, and uh, my mom no military law enforcement experience. My grandparents on my mom's side. I mean, the military service wasn't. I want to say it wasn't prevalent. We had some, you know, aunts and uncles and things that did that, but it it really wasn't like a a staple of life kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, when my dad, you know, got back from Vietnam, and then my mom and him met and and got married and things like that, it like he pretty much was kind of one of those you know, one of those veterans. And I, I think at that time <clears throat> is way different just because of how, how Americans kind of, you know, saw or looked at veterans from that uh, era. Yeah. So a lot of it for him was like, I'm hanging this up. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to live it. I don't, you know, cause it, I think it was just a bad, Yeah. Uh, unfortunately it was just a, a very bad, almost unpatriotic yeah, person to be at that yeah, time. People talk bad. So, you know, I mean, I growing up, dude, I was always about, we had a big field and woods behind the house and, you know, me and my, all, all the friends up and down the street, you know, we wore camouflage and go play army and guns and things. Yeah. And, and dude, so I was about that life. Like I was like, I'm dude, when I turned 17, graduate yeah. high school, I'm joining. And my mom on the other hand was like, no, you are not. <laughs> As you know? most moms do. Yeah, right? and, yeah. And my dad on the other hand was like, if it'd be, I guess I'll, I'll respect it if you do. But Here's I, what you, you know, might face. why not 
college. Mm. Why not career? Why, you know, and yeah. so when the time came, you know, I, I think my path just kind of determined to go more towards, I guess, the, the civilian side of things. Yeah. So, you know, graduated high school at 17, graduated, uh, uh, not really at the top of my class, but graduated with honors, you know, principal's honor roll kind of thing, um, you know, honor society, that kind of good stuff. Um, but that's first semester of my senior year. So right right after first semester, graduated, didn't take a summer off, didn't even take a semester off. I immediately started college. So graduated in December and started college in February. And that, uh, you know, just started a career um, as an automotive technician. I'd always had a, a, a love for cars and, and things like that. Do you still have that now? Do you still play with cars? I, not as much. Okay. Just, I've, I've, I don't want to say I've outgrown it. I kind of burn out, yeah. you know, 20 some years 20 in the years industry. Is a lot of time doing it's that. A, it's a long time. Yeah. But uh, my grandfather was a, was a mechanic, you know, and so like I always saw just how hard he mm. worked. And, his work ethic. And I mean, he's done it since he was like 15 or 16 years old. And, you know, I watched him all the way up till he, he retired. And so I, I always looked at that and was like, man, I want to be, I want to be like my grandpa. And nice. so I, in fact, my very first job in an, in an automotive environment was as a porter at a dealership <laughs> that my grandfather was a master tech at. Oh, nice. So, you know, I, I got to got to kind of work alongside my grandpa and learn. Yeah. Learn I was going to ask, he was, all, he was still working when you, yep. when you jumped on? Wow. Yep. yep. So he cool. retired. Gosh, he retired probably about 14, 15 years ago. So I was probably in my fifth or sixth year already um, back then. Yeah, yeah. as a, as a full-time master tech. So, I mean, yeah. he was all about supporting it and he thought it was great and all. He wasn't one of those old grizzly mechanics that was like, don't get into this trade, son. It's terrible. You know, he was, he's like, well, this is what you need to do. And this is what, you know, the, the kind of path you need to follow mm. and, you know, make sure you get these certifications. And I mean, so he was that's Very good instrumental. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to have that. Absolutely. And I know I kind of, <clears throat> I, I may have completely glossed over um, who and why you were here. Uh, three division grandmaster, is that uh, right? Three division grandmaster in, in USPSA primarily. So that's that's kind of where I got my start in in like the competitive realm. Okay. So it's United States Practical Shooting Association for for those that are kind of like what listening this, in and not wh knowing. What does that acronym mean, right? So. Uh, so now, now you guys know Tim is one of the best shooters in America. I, I would like to think so. I know? think so. <laughs> I appreciate I've seen that. you shoot, man, and uh, I've I've sat there and watched how you you process information, and you can see the wheels turning when people look at things, mm -hmm. and you have that look, and it's it's pretty rad. So, awesome. Uh, for those who didn't know, I know I kind of glossed over it early, um, not really mentioning why, <laughs> but now you know he's a badass shooter, and we're here to learn from him. Awesome. So, no, I've, I've, this is awesome. So in 2010, 2010 is where this all started. My life Rise changed. to the top. Right. <laughs> 2010. So um, I'm up till 2010. So in 2010, I was 33 years old. And uh, I kind of went through some hard times. So I got married really, really early in life. Um, I had just... Had just Basically, I graduated college that May mm -hmm. of, uh, of 1997 and uh, kind of like my high school sweetheart, who was two years younger than me, um, she had just graduated high school. So mm. we're 20 and 18, got married in August of that year of 1997, had, uh, and, and had our first kid at, you know, my, my son Christian, who's now 21, um, in 1998. So, I mean, like, yeah, I started life young, so there was no, like getting to learn who I was or, 
you know, like finding hobbies or like, I didn't have time, you know, I was like, man, get out of college, go get a job and support a wife and a new family kind of thing. So, you know, hobbies and, and, and fun stuff all took a back seat. And, um, actually I started car racing, oh. um, in about like 98 or 99, mm. um, doing sports car stuff like sports car club, of America, SCCA, like autocross racing and things. Nice. And so I pursued that and, and just and kind of rose to the top in that sport as well uh, for about 13 years. There's this trend I'm seeing. Very competitive. <laughs> <Very>. <laughs> and, um, so, and it kind of things went south. Unfortunately, you know, the marriage after 12 years just didn't quite work. Mm. Um, and, uh, we it separated and turned into a divorce. Um, the, the divorce kind of left me like, kind of struggling a little bit um, um, and left me with two kids as a full-time, full-time father. And so, racer at this point. Right? Uh, and I, well, kind of at that point in time, I just kind of parked the race car okay. and, and was just like, I needed to, to rediscover myself, you know, like I'd been a workaholic dad, you know, and husband. And like, like I said, in literally in what seemed like in a minute, like life was over, like lost the house and yeah. the wife was gone and it's me and two kids. And my kids at the time were 10 and four. Mm. And, you know, now I'm all of a sudden a full-time parent, you know, doing everything on my own. Yeah. And I um, had to move out of the house that I like kind of birthed and raised my kids in kind of thing to, well, now what, you yeah. know, um, and, and start over again, you know, with, with the career and, regain a living. And so a lot of it is just kind of an unfortunately kind of a kind of a dark side to that for a little bit. But mm -hmm. on the other end was I um I, I kind of got, you know, basically I pulled bootstraps up, you know, yep. it's it's time to get to work. So uh, I just worked harder, pulled myself out of that mess. But I had to move me and the kids to what we could afford, you know, which is kind of a questionable area. Right. And uh and so it was one of those things I'd never really thought about owning a firearm before oh. until I was kind of like, just kind of put in the situation was like, man, what would I do if somebody came into the house or robbed us? Or, I mean, it just, and not that I moved my kids like purposely to like, okay, we're moving to the ghetto kind right, of thing. Right, it's what you could afford. Right, but yeah. it was just one of those things like, man, while I'm getting my, back on my feet again, like maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing to get a pistol, you yeah. know, and, and learn how to defend me and my kids with it. And so that, I, I got a pistol, <clears throat> a friend of mine who worked as an armed security agent, um, took me to the range and, uh, just as just a, Hey, get out of the house on a Saturday and come watch me qualify. And I was like, qualify. What? what oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I am, um, I watched her qualify and I was like, man, that that's the coolest stuff ever. Like, can we shoot your gun after this and, and stay on the range? And she was like, yeah. And so, you know, and actually, a, you know, a, a good female friend, taught me to shoot basically. Awesome. And so, you know, kind of taught me just a, you know, a, a grip that would work and how to line the sights up and that kind of thing. And lo and behold, it was kind of one of those things like, dude, this is awesome. And <laughs> it's kind of empowering and it's, yeah. it's fun. And damn it, I feel like I'm kind of good at this, you know? <laughs> you know, your first time shooting, you're like, you hit the bullseye, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. And, and then it kind of turned into like, I want to do this, you know? And so I bought a pistol and I took some training and I, I did a basic NRA pistol class. And yeah. I took a, you know, like inside the home and outside the yep. home NRA protection because <laughs> I didn't know any, you know, right, it, right. it was just like, where do I start? Yeah. I and knew I didn't want to be that. That's the path most, most people take that are new to shooting anyway. Sure. Yeah. And, and fortunately, I had some really good leadership at, at my very beginning of, of, of shooting, you know, so 
33 years old, you know, I'm kind of a, a middle-aged adult, you know, so to speak, versus a, a kid that started with a, with a teenager, you know, or, or started as a, as a youth, you know, with mom and dad that taken him shooting. I didn't have any of that past. Right. So well, that's why I asked earlier on and you're like, <clears throat> Nope, not yet. Yep. And so uh, mentors were a huge part of me, you know, coming up. Um, I had an old kind of old grizzled range officer at an indoor range that I used to go to every Saturday. I'd show up with 200, 300 rounds of ammo. He'd let <laughs> me in. It gets to the point he'd let me in early before the place opened and he'd work with me one-on-one and, and he made it enjoyable for me. Nice. And I think that's what's molded me to really want to be the educator I am now because it's like I had such a freaking awesome experience learning all about this and falling into this as not just a hobby, but then as a passion and a lifestyle mm. that I, I just, I, it excited me to want to do that and share that for everybody else. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I literally started at 33. I wish I'd have started at 13, you yeah. know, or even 23. <laughs> um, very, very quickly got into practical shooting. Um, and it was like on a whim one day, it was one of those like, uh, Jack was the guy's name at the, at, you know, the range officer at that indoor range I'd go to. And I was like, Jack, it'd be really cool. You know, if like if there was any sort of like competition or anything, like you drew the gun from a holster or maybe you had to do reloads or something like that. And they, they timed you. And, you. and he was like, oh, listen here, young man. You said, you must be talking about IPSC. And I was like, IP what? Like, what? <laughs> what is that? And he was like, ah, it's like international practical shooting something or another. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, you can look it up, you know, on the internet and and figure that stuff out. He goes, we got a couple of guys that come in here from time to time and, and practice and stuff. He goes, I'll have to introduce you to one of them. And just literally like the next week, this guy named John Sandlin happened to be like an A-class shooter. And he was doing some stuff with a pistol that I was like, oh, this guy's like a wizard, you know, like I'd never seen <laughs> yeah, yeah. anything like it. And uh, so Jack introduced me to him and and John had been shooting for a number of years and uh, was kind of on his way. He was like, yeah, I'm kind of done. I'm going to hang it up for a while. He stayed shooting competitively for like two years as nothing more than a mentor to like put me on that path. I mean, mm -hmm. he took me to my first outdoor match. He took me to my first outdoor practice session ever. I'd never even shot guns outside before wow. until then. And I was like, this is the, the coolest stuff ever. Yeah. And, uh, and really helped again, just breed such a, such an interest in it that, yeah, I hung up race cars and started shooting full time and it became everything. You know, of course now by this time I'm back on my feet, the kids are good. I'm good. I'm in a really good place, you know? And, and so I had some time and some money and things to really invest in this. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it, like it took over, you know, like I was dry firing an hour, two hours a night, five, six, seven nights a week. I was shooting an indoor match, at least one to two indoor matches a week and an outdoor match every weekend. I'd go to the range and practice with my buddy, John, you know, every week, once a week, you know, on Friday or Saturdays, it just, it took over. It just exploded. And, you know, the, I didn't just like pick up a pistol one day and be like, hey, I'm a grandmaster. I mean, <laughs> I worked my tail off. It sounds like it. So. So how long from the, that first range day uh, till you started like hard on competing and just going for it? Um, you know, I'd shot that. I started in February. I st uh, pistol shooting period, owning a pistol. I started shooting competitively by that July, mm. right? So not very long, you right. know, but dude, like you know as well as I do, like I did not know 
what I did not know. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. man, I felt like I felt like I had some things figured out until I went to my first match, and I, dude, I got my clock cleaned. You know, I was like, I didn't even realize such things were possible. Yeah, you know, and instead of discouraging me, it was one of those things where I was like, the I, how do I do it? You know, like how do I figure that stuff out? And so it was like books and videos and reading and and watching you know anything I could get my hands on to practical shooting I, I wanted to learn all about you know mm. and so uh, from I, I picked up like my first classification as a classified USPSA like member as a C-class shooter um, about three to four months later um, and then I was a C-class shooter and I kind of very quickly kind of rose into like B-class mm-hmm. Um, and classifications for USPSA, like you start unclassified and then it's like D class, C class, B class, A class, and then M and GM. Mm-hmm. And grandmasters are like, that's the kind of the, the cream of the crop, you know, like that's the, the top 5% of, of pistol shooters yeah. competitively in the country are, are that, that grandmaster level. And for me, I like the first thing I wanted to do is like, I just want to attain like A class because my buddy John is an A class guy and dude, that dude's square away. You know, I'm. I'm gonna figure that out, and uh, I got stuck, you know, like I because again, like training became like you only train what what somebody else has given you, you know, kind of the, you know, like like that catalyst to train. So I yeah. was like, okay, I'm gonna train this, 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 and this, and then those are the same four things that I worked all the time, you know, like how to draw the gun, how to reload the gun. So like my reloads. They'd be on point, you yeah. know, like <laughs> I, could, I could draw the gun really well. And, but like, I didn't understand like how to transition the gun from target to target and movement and all these other important aspects because I didn't know any better. Yeah. Right? There's so many intricacies and uh, just watching you break those down in the class was really impressive. I'm like, man, I didn't even think of that. And there's just so much to consider, not just how fast you can draw or how fast you can reload. Right. Um, but the whole thing, because you're strategizing or you're creating a strategy for the whole ma- or the whole match or stage, right? For the stage specifically at one point. Right. And there's a lot to that. It, the game planning is insane. It's it's a it, lot more than people think. It sure is. You know, yeah. and, and I think everybody tries to almost tries to approach like the gaming aspect of it mm. to just the shooting. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, and and we talked about that like all weekend long. Like the shooting aspect is the one part you don't rush. You know, it is what it is. Like you let your vision tell you, you know, with the sight pictures and with your level of grip that okay, now I'm okay to send that shot. Mm-hmm. But you get to do all of the non-shooting stuff, like you know, the the draws, the reloads, the running around with your hair on fire. Like that's the stuff that you try to game or try to find more efficiency with, you know, but like the shooting needs to be what the shooting is, you know, and, and I think people try to approach that based on what they perceive to be important versus what's actually important. And it, it puts up roadblocks for you. And that's part of the, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, so being stuck in B class, not knowing what you don't know, how did you start figuring out what you did need to know? Well, that's, that's the thing. So yeah, as, as a B class shooter, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I tell students this a lot, like, getting out of C-class or out of your current slump, one of two things has to happen. You know, either your slump is because you're you're more accurate, right, than you are fast, or you're more fast than you are accurate, right? So speed and, you know, like my, instead of just thinking of accuracy, speed or vision, right? Vision, of course, drives accuracy. Vision doesn't drive speed at all, but visually being aware of 
the sights and targets and and moving the gun from target to target and reacquiring the sights is all an attribute of like the level of accuracy you're going to achieve. Mm. So a lot of people, if they shoot really accurately, they don't want to pick up the level of speed because they're afraid, obviously, if I step one foot in front of the other, that speed step, I'm going to lose my accuracy. And people are like, well, no, 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 I don't want to miss. You know, and then on the other foot, you've got guys that like, they learned how to finally go fast and they're like, no, no, I don't want to have to give up my speed to try to find accuracy. You know, obviously there's a, there's a, a delicate balance between the two, Yeah. but it's, 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 a, it's a level or a balance that has to constantly explore the limits every step of the way, you know? And that, for me, I didn't know that. Like I just learned how to go fast enough, like pointing a gun in the general direction of targets that I was like... <laughs> I stumbled into B class and I was like, I have achieved, you know, <laughs> until two years later, I'm still stuck in B class. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know B what class. I'm, I don't, yeah. Like what is wrong with me? You know, like the faster I go, the worse this gets. So that's and where your speed was higher than your accuracy. Definitely. And then you needed to figure out how to counterbalance that. Definitely. Okay. So for me, um, again, my, my buddy, John was like, maybe it's time you take an actual class from somebody. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm learning from you. And he was like, Okay, maybe let me rephrase this. Maybe it's time we mm. go take a class That's from cool, somebody. Man. And Friends I was like, like good. you would take a class with me? And he was like, yeah. And he goes, so I don't know if you know, he goes, there's a really big range down in Tulsa, Oklahoma called U.S. Shooting Academy. And I was like, oh, really? I said, yeah, I think that the USPSA, like the, 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 the national championships used to be held there. And he's like, yeah. He goes, so there's this guy there. He says, you might have heard of him. His name's Mike Seeklander. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a Mike Seeklander of American War Society. Yeah. Um, but Mike Seeklander's been a probably one of the most quintessential trainers in the in the world for a number of years now. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I've heard that name before, but how would we get into one of his classes? And he was like, man, come May, May or June, he's teaching a class, blah, blah, blah. I've done signed us up. Oh. And so I was <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. And Mike was the guy that, like he set the ball really into motion uh, as far as like I took a class that was the first like formalized training I'd ever taken with somebody. But, um, and again, another unbelievable mentor of mine that, uh, that taught me so much, not just about myself, but also taught me so much about teaching and Mm. adult education and, and just, and really lit the fire under that interest of like, God, I want to do what he does that like someday Someday, maybe I might be able to do that. And, but with Mike, it was all about like, I'm going to teach you how to properly practice, how to regiment things, how to schedule things, how to, uh, and almost like take pistol training and turning it into, you know, and I know you've got a a big background, like in working out in MMA and things like that and having a training schedule and understanding like when I go to the gym today, I'm going to work this, this, and this, but that's it. You know, and a lot of people, like even going to do the gym for the first time, they see all this equipment and they go, well, I, I'm going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and I'm going to get this full body workout. But you, you realize like, they're just spinning their wheels kind of yeah. thing. There's no true progress there. Right. And yeah. pistol training is honestly, it's the same way. Gotcha. So people come to the range and they're like, I'm going to get good at this, but I don't really know how, mm. you know? And for me, I was the same way. I just got stuck in a rut of, well, these are what I practice and train. And Mike was like... It's evident, but it's also evident that you don't practice or train this, this, and this, and you're not focused on these three things, even on the things that you're already doing. So let's fix that. And 
Yeah, it was mind blowing. Um, four months after his class in 2013, I skipped almost right past A class and right to master. Wow. And so I went from B class to master class in a, about seven, eight months total. And in 2014, I was like, man, I'm done. Like master class, whoo, you know, I've pumped <laughs> the brakes a little bit. I don't want to, I don't want to try it for grandmaster. The minute I stopped trying, like <laughs> one day I got a card in the mail from USPSA oh, wow. and with, back when they used to mail membership cards to yeah. me <laughs> and that membership card had my name and membership number and all that stuff. And then it was like single stack. GM and I was like, "Oh, uh, what? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah." So, so in 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 the not trying, it was kind of like that Zen moment, almost. No, exactly. like things just flowed better. And right. we talked about this a lot: flowing versus Flow. trying to like make things happen. Right. Process uh, versus results. Right. Right. So when you put a result ahead of what it is you're truly trying to accomplish you defeat the purpose, right? You defeat your overall purpose of even trying to just, of, of accomplishing it, right? When it should be like, whatever my goal set is, I need to set into motion that that plan, mm. you know, and just that process. How do I achieve that goal? I, I first need to figure out what my process is to achieve it. You know, if I want to get really good at riding a bicycle, you know, like my process first is how do I hold my balance how do I hold, you know, the, the the handlebars straight? How do I apply pressure to the pedals? And you just focus on that, you know. And it, 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 as a kid, I'm sure when you first learned to ride a bicycle, you know, it was like you get two or three pumps, and it's almost like, yay, I did it! Oh, you know. Yeah, and then you sure. then you fall, you know. And it, why did you fall? Well, you fell because you let go of the process in an effort to celebrate the result before you were done. Yeah. You know, and and pistol shooting, we see it all the time. And for me, that was the same way. It was like I was so goal oriented that I was putting the goal or that result far ahead of just the process and enjoying the journey. Mm. And Mike Seeklander on the other hand was like totally lit the fire under me about like, dude, enjoy what it is you're doing. You know, it's, it's like any other martial art, you know, I mean, somebody goes and joins martial, you know, does uh, join, joins a gym for the first time or a dojo and they're like, I want to be a black belt. You know, if, if they set that goal, I'm going to be a black belt in five years time. And their whole goal is nothing but that result. When they finally achieve that result, if they do, but when they finally achieve that result, then it's like, well, now what? Right. You know, versus like somebody that I'm sure you you can definitely relate. It's just like just the journey of being able to go to the gym and fellowship with your guys yeah. and and learning even a new technique, but then exploiting like, how did I learn that? How do I break it down? What makes it work? And yeah. it's like, to me, that's the... That's the catalyst that keeps this interesting even 10 years later. Yeah, it's the process uh, and and the journey versus, like you said, the result or going somewhere just for the sake of being there. Exactly. And it, it's the way I kind of see it is if you buy, if, if you're just going and you're looking straight ahead to just that result, you miss all the beauty that's next to you. Absolutely. All the stuff that's right to the right and to the left of you as you're traveling. It's like driving a car. Yeah, I was right? going to say the car analogy. And I love driving. It's one of my favorite things to do. Me too. And I spent time, like I'll focus on the road. I'm looking ahead, but I'm also like taking in everything around me. And driving is so fun because there's like this predictive nature. Yeah. Like we're making, you know, these guesses and there's ma I can see like math happening in my face. Right. While I'm driving and seeing people cut each other off and knowing and like playing the prediction game. Like I bet that car gets off here and that and it's just fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's enjoying everything that comes with it, not just trying to get to the, the destination, right? Right. So, uh, 
practice and how you structure practice to achieve what you did achieve? Mm-hmm. Was it, did you start to then know a, a better platform? Because I know people practice, right? Or they think they're practicing, sure. but they're really just doing a motion. Uh, what would you suggest for, for those listening as far as like how to structure a practice? I mean, without giving away secret sauce, because you guys should definitely attend the courses. Um, uh, even me, uh, that course was one of the best and most informative courses for me. I'll take it two, three, four hundred times if I have to. Dude, I am humbled uh, by that. Thank you. And it, it's that good. And I'm going to do it again and again because every time it will be something new because I know that I, I, I might have fixated now on what I want to fix as a priority for me. Sure. But there's something else that I'm going to have to fix later. Right. And all of it comes with understanding how good you are at certain things and how much you may not be at others and then how to structure practice. Right. And that, and how to structure that practice is kind of that, that it's great that you, you already were an observer, you know, of your own training and your own practice, even throughout the weekend, like you knew, especially once we, you know, we, we kind of came up with kind of a, a plan, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit based on how I observed you like day one, Saturday morning. Right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Raul, we're going to work on, you know, uh, these are the three or four things that I see that, that we could make the biggest improvements on. Mm -hmm. So that kind of became not the overall or primary focus, but that definitely became one of those like all the time. That's, that's kind of a couple of those things I I want you to keep at the, you know, at the, at your forefront of thought, you know, like when you go into this or when we do this again, keep those things at, you know, your first and second and third priority kind of things. And which I think is important. So knowing or, or maybe being able just to kind of understand or recognize what your what your weakness might be. You know, if somebody was like, "Man, I want to get better at, let's say, strong hand or support hand, weak hand shooting," mm-hmm. right? But so they they work they work on it a little bit, but they work on it maybe just a little bit in practice, but they don't really know or understand a technique, you know, mm. or or how to change things, or they're afraid. That's more than anything is the lack of confidence or the fear of trying something that isn't what maybe necessarily somebody just dictated to them or that they saw a video or they they heard a friend of a friend at a range one time told them oh, that's how you do it so they 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 frame their reference around like that's you know well John at the range or Jimmy or somebody told me one time that I need to cant the gun and I need to lock my arm straight out and I need to do that so they they work on something that unfortunately maybe for their body type or maybe for how they hold the gun or maybe they have a you know a, like some sort of a limitation in their mobility that doesn't they can't do what Frank or John or Jim or somebody at the range does the same way so they struggle with it and they fight with it but by God they were told that's the way they need to do it yeah. so they just they do it until they like I can't get any better at this. So I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a lot of times they just you fall into like, well, people told me I need to practice transitions. I'm going to practice transitions, but they don't really know what it is they're practicing because right. they've never, they've never experimented. Even if they're experimenting on their own, wrong, right? And a lot of times, I've been told by other students, even you know, like, well, I was told to do this. I will. It's not that I don't. I take. The information that they maybe have given me that maybe they got from someplace else, I'll take it home to my range in my own practice sessions and I'll practice something wrong just to understand the cause and effect of of that bad practice. Of why it's wrong. Yeah. You know, or the cause and effect of why maybe it was wrong for them, mm. or maybe like were they overlooking something else that might have made that a viable, yeah. you know, alternative 
for, for them to use that, well, it just didn't work for me. Well, maybe it didn't work for you because somebody didn't convey the information to you in a, in a way that, that made sense, right. you know? And it, so that, those are always good things to do too. You know, I always tell people all the time, like always experiment, always test, you know, always question things. Don't take what I'm giving you as an absolute, you know, yeah. it's, it's a way, it's not the way. And seek out from other people as well. Always. And that's the thing is people get fixated on who they like and it becomes this like sure. my bro. Instead of just l go to anyone and everyone who just piques your interest. Mm -hmm. I say this all the time and I, and I tell people that and like, it's your money one and that, it's your sure. time. Go to whoever speaks to you uh, and somebody who you like what they're saying and go take the class with them. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, there's no, these, there's these weird loyalties, uh, that are just, they don't make sense in true progress. I agree. And, uh, if you don't explore, you don't see things beyond the group that you're in. And I, just to tell a cop story, it was really interesting. I had a female partner, blonde, blue eyes, petite, right? And we're in one of the ghettos in Chicago. And these are pre-kindergarten age kids. They had never seen a white person before. Wow. Like, think about that. Yeah, that's... That's good, right? That's tough. Yeah. Nobody believes me. They're like, there's no way. TV and this and that. Well, no, they watch only their uh, community-style TV. They culture. only talk to their... Yeah, they're only in, surrounded by themselves. Like, the kids are very sheltered. And some of these kids don't know what's outside their three-block radius. So everyone does... People are shocked by that, that statement. But if you don't explore, you don't know. Right. And so the more you get out and the more you do things and the more people you train with, the more uh, exposure to people telling you, hey, man, that technique might have been good had it been explained even this way. So the technique might have been solid even. Absolutely. It was just explained incorrectly and you processed the information wrong and that's just what came of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, going out and exploring is huge, man. And, and I think a lot of it too is there's been quite a paradigm shift in instruction and in training now, especially over the last, say, 15 years, you know, with the advent of just like, God, there's so much great information. Like, I, I mean, anywhere you look, you know, I mean, when I got into this sport, like YouTube's a thing, right? You yeah. know, I mean, 10 years ago, I could get on YouTube though still and find videos from Todd Jarrett and Mike Seeklander and Rob Latham and these guys that are fantastic at, at explaining and teaching and they've been doing it forever. Like I, you know, and, and so, Finding information was is easy now. Um, in fact, almost to the point where people almost drown in over information. Um, whereas 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, trying to find a pertinent trainer or instructor, and a lot of things were like, well, this is this is how I do this. And mm -hmm. until you come and take training from me, you know, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. There there seemed to be quite a bit of like a very divisive, you know, that guy does his thing. I do my thing. The, it, the, the community as a whole, I don't think was as tight knit as I, honestly, as it is now, hmm. um, where I think you see a lot of trainers today, like some, like I can think of probably three of what I would consider my solidly. Some of my best friends, um, are all trainers, you know, um, Scott Jedlinski, Modern Samurai Project. Mm -hmm. um, it goes by the, the nickname Jedi. Yeah. Um, Steve Fisher, Sentinel Concepts. Uh, Chuck Pressburg, a press check, you know, yeah. press check consulting. Bill Blowers, you know, Tap Rack Tactical. I mean, these are these are dudes that I've never been a part of their world as far as like these guys are LE and military guys, yeah, to the nth degree, mm -hmm. you know. And 
I'm just a competition dude, you know? They're just, but I, I'm an advocate of pistol shooting, like performance yeah. pistol shooting and things. And not trying to like, well, I push the gaming aspect. or and But I fell into a great relationship with those guys because they weren't just like, well, this is the way we do it departmentally, or this right. is the way you do it tactically, or this is, you know, everything was just like, this is how you get better. Yeah. And so we really hit it off and became friends. And the great thing about it is like, dude, we're constantly challenging each other all the time on the internet or, you know, exchanging information. Like I, I talk to Scott all the time. I talk to Steve all the time. And it's just, it's funny. Like, hey, how, would your, how was your class here? And did you work on these things? And, you know, or, hey, talk to me again about this, this technique that you're doing in your classes. And how do you convey that? And how do you, you know, how do you give it to a student? And it's super cool to, to, the share of information and the encouragement yeah. from trainer to trainer to go seek out training from other sources too. That also seems like it, it, it feeds into the process seeking Absolutely. versus just the results because dudes with backgrounds and, the, the, and I and do it in air quotes, the whole tactical side of everything or the defensive side of everything. And then they try to defend it with, well, this is for this. I mean, pistol shooting is pistol shooting. And if you're good at it, and I told you this yesterday, right. I could take one of the best competitive shooters and put him in a uniform, teach him a little bit of law, and he'll probably be better and safer with that gun than if I put that same uniform on a tactical shooter um, who thinks that it's all in the defense of this and that. You don't just run around shooting people. You need to have the discipline for those things. And that comes from the, uh, the heavier amount of time where you actually practice with a gun. Yes. Uh, so the dudes who are competing at your level, you're practicing and touching a gun a lot more than said tactical side. And nothing against them either. There's very valid to that. But even I run into those things. And I love the competition shooting stuff. And now I'm going to get into it more. And it's just I want all of it because I just want to be better. Sure. I, I don't want to lean on one thing or lean on another. And I say this in classes as well. Experiences are isolated moments to you. Those will never be replicated. That's we can right. learn from them, but they'll never be replicated. It'll never be the same day. It'll never be the same two people. And it'll never be the same emotions. The environment has changed. It's like a river, right? It flows and it's gone. Right. It's only there for a second and it's gone. And that's what those are. They're good examples to learn from, but you'll never replicate them. So just because gunfights here or fights in backseats here and chasing dudes here, that was an experience. It, it isn't an experience now. But right. I can continue to get better by touching and practicing and doing more with the gun than just relying on events, right? I agree. And, and that's what I, what I love about coming from, I guess, from the kind of the side of the house that I've, I've come from, though, is I've experienced a lot of polarity, you know, mm. with that. Like guys that are defensive-minded or military-minded, you know, tactically-minded guys, you know, like, well, what do you know? You're just a gamer, you know? And I, I used to see that a lot. And the great thing is, is being able to explore and exploit that, dude, like you said, pistol shooting yeah. is pistol shooting. Rifle shooting is rifle shooting. Like there's a difference between the performance aspect of simply shooting a gun at a high rate, you know, or a higher level of performance, secondary to tactics, yeah. You know, so I agree. Tactics definitely has its place. But where I think there's it's such muddied waters to think, you know, that the tactics and shoot, tactics and shooting themselves are their own thing. Right. And competition and shooting itself is its own thing. And there's this huge like Berlin wall between the right. two that can't they, they they can't they can't progress with each other. And it's like, man, that's that's so 
BS, you know? <laughs> it is. And what's funny is that, and even those in those weird moments where you just look at them and I'm like, dude, there's tactics in the stage. There's tactics in competition. It just doesn't apply to life and death. It's just, sure. And I, and I get that's where like the whole thing gets blended up. And let's not go down this whole thing, uh, just because it's just a it's a topic that's almost it's it, a rabbit hole not worth going down. Absolutely, it's almost an immature subject. Right. Right. Because you're not grown up enough to understand that if you get really good with something, you're really good with it. It that's doesn't right. matter where you're trying to apply it. You can and, learn tactics. And I think that's why. In like my relationships now with with folks and like meeting you this weekend, like mm. dude, this isn't a friendship or relationship that it ends because I'm going back to Albuquerque tomorrow, you know, or today. Yeah. It's it's like truly, you're a part of my family now, kind of thing, awesome, you know. Man. And I, you. I love that. And it, it, the funny thing is, is the dudes that are truly squared away in your side of the house know that you're truly squared away because you've come and explored maybe things from guys like me that. I don't have the experience you have, you know, but man, if I can offer a better way to make you more efficient doing what you do, carrying a gun every single day of your life, dude, why, why not? Why wouldn't I why, want that? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, that that's what's really cool. You know, the, the dudes that know, know. Yeah. And there's a reason they know. Yeah. You know, so I challenge anybody that that's maybe put up as, this roadblock or this this shield for themselves to say like, nope, nope, don't want to learn that from that guy because he doesn't have yeah. military experience. He didn't do two tours in Afghanistan yeah. or he didn't do, doesn't necessarily mean that that dude can't like show you some really good stuff. Right. You and, know? and if you do, and here we'll, we'll close that segment with this. If you do want to learn certain things, if you want to learn about violence, go to dudes who've experienced violence. Hands down. If you want to learn, <laughs> if you're a cop and you want to learn cop stuff, and whatever that might be, go to the cop instructors. Right. If you're a military dude about to deploy, go to the military dudes because they're going to give you stuff that's within the guidelines of what you're about to go do. Absolutely. Right? Um, <laughs> it's, it's just funny that that gets misconstrued and somehow unbalanced. Um, I agree. And yeah. Well, you get competition guys all the time though that are, and I see honestly, nowadays, I see more polarity on that side like the gamer side of things, like competition guys are like, wow, that's, that's tactical guys. You know, they they think they know how to shoot, but clearly they don't know how to shoot. Great. Did you go over to the range and help them? Right. You know, did you shake hands, introduce yourselves, meet them, and offer them some maybe some things that might improve what they're doing with the pistol? And you know, but instead, no. Most of the competition guys are the ones really now, honestly, painting themselves into a corner to yeah. like. And and like I said, the, the the tactically minded guys are the ones now that I'm honestly are opening up their their hearts they're and trying minds. They're trying to come over, yeah, right. And they're seeing more pushback from like I hate to say it, yeah. right? Because I'm I'm kind of kind of pissing on my own people, but I don't mean it that way. But right. I'm just no, no. but that that ends up being the problem, yeah. you know, is. For so long, there's been polarity on both sides of the house. And then one person tries to open up, you know, one side tries to open up and accept the other a little bit more and more, but then they receive pushback, which just keeps this yeah. going. And it's like, dude, like I, I love having brand new shooters in my class, brand new shooters standing right next to guys like Leighton yesterday, yeah. who's a GM, you know, I mean, the guy's at the top of his game too. Yeah. Why can't they both exist? The weird, the weird divide is it's a human condition. Yes. I think it applies more 
to to us as humans more than it does to specific things that we do. Because in the in the in a law enforcement setting, it's the same way. You got guys who really want to bridge the gap with the community and law enforcement and bring them back together. Uh, but now you're met with resistance on the public, where at one point you were met with resistance on law enforcement, us versus them. Uh, so it's this like weird divide that we create, I think, in, in in an attempt to belong to something, which then separates us further. Yes. Instead of making that union that we're actually looking for. I agree. Um, so <laughs> more than anything, it's a human thing, and it's an education thing. If you're willing to reach out and learn some shit, you're going to see that there's this union that you've been looking for, but that you've also been pushing aside because of your own beliefs, not willing to explore. Right. So I, I seen it in law enforcement. It sounds the same with this. And, uh, yeah, it is. And like I said, I like being one of those. I, I love, I love teaching for one, you know, but I love now getting to be a full-time trainer and travel the country to, and, and be an advocate for, like not just training in general, not just training like my classes, but training in general and and sharing knowledge and whether that come with a cost, you know, of a class or whether that be sitting with your buddies, you know, enjoying a good bourbon and a cigar and just talking about shooting and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it just, God, everybody has experiences that are relevant, that are worth listening to, no matter who they are or what their background and I did, like I said, I can't advocate that enough. That's, to me, that's cool. So from, from the 2018, because you just mentioned it, that this is what you're doing now, you're mm -hmm. teaching now. 2018, uh, how and what made that the way to go? To be just full-time training, leaving what you were doing before. So what was exactly you, what you were doing before 2018 and the choice to just go full-on training? I'd been an automotive technician. So um, you were still doing that? At a Honda dealership okay. right, in Kansas City, um, going on at that point in time, 19 years. Um, and it just, at that point, you know, it's, it's like with any career, you're kind of like, man, it was fun 10 years ago. You know, now it's just a job. Um, but it, uh, Obviously, as my attention really turned and my interest, you know, really peaked on shooting and getting better. And then it, it just, becoming a trainer was kind of one of those things where I was, I was kind of sought out for some private instruction with some newer people, you know, at the local range. And uh, then that kind of turned into, hey, could you work with, uh, you know, like a group of three or four of us and maybe put on a, you know, would you be interested in teaching like a four hour class? And so like, I didn't know really a whole lot about like, well, how? how do I structure a curriculum and how do I build this and, you know, what things are important. And, um, so I did a lot of homework on that. You know, i made a lot of phone calls, you know, it's quite a few text messages to, to, like I said, mentors like Mike Seeklander, you know, I was like, Mike, like, okay, so I've got some interest in this. How would I go about doing this? And I mean, like it just, it fortunately, again, in this day and age, like the leadership and fellowship amongst other people that want to see success in others as well. You know, it was just like huge. It, it wasn't even like, well, I'm going to grab your hand and hold it. I mean, they were like, I'm going to grab your shirt and drag you along and you're going to learn all of this stuff and it's going to be fun and you're going to, you know, you're going to be good at it. And to get that kind of encouragement and stuff. So I was like, okay. So I figured out how to start building a lesson plan and how to build a curriculum. And I taught a couple of local classes and local classes turned in a couple of regional classes around the state. Yeah. And the more I did it, the more I was like, dude, this is my calling. Like this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I thought I liked cars and cars were cool, but 
educating. Like, and I used to work with a guy that was like, dude, leave it to Tim. You know, like I taught race car driving for a number of years as well. And you kind of see that trend there. Yeah, um, but I had a, I had a, a buddy that I worked with at Honda that was like, yeah, leave it to Tim. Like Tim would learn how to make freaking paper airplanes. And three weeks later, he'd be teaching a fucking one, you know, three day <laughs> class on how to make the best paper airplanes yeah. ever. And it was just for me, it was like, yeah, yeah. And it, it was, he wasn't like a slam against me. He was just like, no, you're sure. that dude that just, you love something so much or you gain an interest in something so much that yeah. you can't wait to tell the world about it kind of thing. And I was like, yes, that's it. And you what's know? what's cool is when you talk about it and when I see you teach, you teach from passion, um, which then really truly brings growth in other individuals versus some of the dudes. And I've trained with so many people. I didn't even have time to tell you or yesterday during the courses. No like doubt. I didn't want to waste your time, man, with what I, <laughs> what I did as far as who I train with. And a lot of dudes are they're wrapped up in their own glory almost and they're teaching they're they're talking at people instead of to people right and and I see it and I'm like okay cool I'm going to endure I'm going to be the student I don't I don't mind that cuz I know my role when I go to a class and so when I saw the passion and I saw that it was not that man I was I don't want to use the word hooked cuz it's a weird term but I'm into this I'm into the way you teach I like your program your program actually makes a lot of sense, and that's kind of where I'm leading this, is to talk a little bit about the program, not the content itself, because I want people to experience that, because it is an experience um, more than anything, and it's takeaways for them individually. Uh, but the program, how did your program become what it is? That, uh, so for me, it was like learning learning how to practice, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, like one of my biggest mentors, just my biggest influences was with Mike Seeklander. Um, you know, and of course I sought out some private instruction with some other, you know, like in, on the, on the, on the competitive side of the house, you know, like guys like Phil Strader and, and Rob Latham and, and like, I'd pick their brains constantly, you know, like what makes that important and what mm -hmm. makes this important? And, and for me too, it was just a, a search for what, what have I found in my exploration, you know, in my journey to, to be really important? And like, what stood out to me? Like, what was my breakthrough moment with regards to this or with regards to that, that, that then became like, man, I'm gonna write that down, right? So keeping a logbook for mm. me was huge yeah. in my own training. And then seeing like, okay, this particular exercise or drill really helped drive home and reinforce the points of this there's probably a reason for that. That's probably really, really important. So I don't forget I'm writing that stuff down, you yeah. know? And so being able to come up with like a lesson plan was built on like, man, I know transitions are extremely important. I see guys in matches and things like struggle with that all the time. I see guys in even like tactically minded classes. Mm -hmm. When you talk about transitioning, basically just a single target transition from one target to another. And like seeing so many inefficiencies there that it's like, okay, I want to address that because I want to make every shooter better when it comes to that. Yeah. You know, so and then it was like developing the curriculum was like, well, first of all, people need to know how to like just properly hold a gun, mm -hmm. aim a gun, and press the trigger and hit what they're aiming at, right? Right. So then it became important to me to build the curriculum on, okay, how do we we begin with this yet reinforce this fundamental concept of shooting? throughout every single step of the way, throughout both days, you know, throughout mm -hmm. a two-day program, how do I, okay, we're going to work on, 
you know, one-handed shooting, but how do I still bring it back to process versus results? How do I bring it back to, you know, letting recoil happen, but what are the sights telling me? How do I work on, you know, calling the shots if I'm not still focused on gripping the gun properly and managing my sight pictures? And what does that mean? And, mm. you know, so uh, it's, I've, I've wanted to build the curriculum where again, it just stair steps, like one technique builds on another. And then those two techniques together build on a third. And then those three techniques build on a fourth. And so no matter what, at the, at the end of a two day session, you can shoot a 33 round field course of fire thinking about so many other aspects, like where my feet are at and how I lean and how I this and how I that. But yeah. the one thing that doesn't change is grip the gun and manage the sights. Mm -hmm. If you can do those two things, you will be successful. Yeah. Right? That's your process. As long <laughs> as I'm focusing on that process, everything else is just secondary, you know? And then, so, and I, it just, it made sense. And so I, I kind of did a test bed, you know? I, I had some really good friends and, and peers that are high level shooters in Kansas City that I was like, would you want to do me a favor, you know? And just, just to humor me, would you come and train with me for a weekend? And it's all on me. And let me present my content or what I believe to be a really good program or content to you. And I want to get your guys' feedback. And getting their feedback, I made just a couple little tweaks. I mean, those guys were like, holy crap, this is this is awesome. Like yeah. if, if you think you can do this with eight to ten to twelve or fourteen people, you go on ahead, but dude, that's gonna be a feat. But it's if if this is what you think it should be. And for me, again, that that the personal relationship building and getting that personal one-on-one -on -one instruction with each student is like, that's to me, I think that's the key. That's the, that's the, the secret sauce in it just yeah. giving people exactly what they want that maybe they don't quite get in, in other programs. And I'm not saying like my program is better than anybody else's, but right. that's, that's what I wanted to make mine. Everybody else is going right. That's the one little veer to the left. I wanted to, I really wanted to emphasize was Personal one-on-one. -on -one. What's funny is when you when you mentioned that and and then the desire to make that the, the one of the priorities, right? Um, I chuckled. I was in the back chuckling uh, because I get a lot of that same feedback. Um, I don't do it like exclusively. Uh, how do I phrase that? So I do. I seek out the individual attention, and one of our opening drills is for me to gauge the student. Right. And so, and I'll know. Okay, cool. This dude's going to need grip work. This dude's going to need. I don't know, just little things where he's not focused or there's too much going on. Let's scale back. And, and I do a very similar thing. And that's why I was, child, I was like, I really like that because I do that. Uh, and that's the feedback I get sometimes. And it, when people understand what's happening, a mm -hmm. lot of people don't even know what's happening, right? They think that you just pick something out and you're like, here you go. And I, I said it yesterday in, in, the, in the class debrief at the end, it's not a broad stroke with Tim. It's an, it, and it's an actual individualized assessment and then betterment points from there, uh, which is cool because I do see the one-on-one -on -one thing, but it was broad stroke. Like I said yesterday, like they'll be like, Hey, everybody fix this. Right. Uh, or you fix this. And then you hear him down the line and he's saying the exact same thing to the next guy. And truly those two people don't need the same fix. Uh, but that's just the way they do it. Right. Uh, so I really do appreciate that. And then it's, it's evident in the way you do it. So oh, it's really cool you. to see. Uh, and that's you. why I'm so like, I'm queuing into your, your program, not to give it away, but mm -hmm. so that people know what to expect when they, they come to a course, because I think just knowing it, it'll make them more confident sure. in wanting to take it. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and as far as how new shooters versus the GMs, because we had a GM in the class. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a GM, obviously. We had Masters, AJ Zito from Practical Performance, Masterclass Shooters, and then you have these GMs all with brand new shooters taking your course. How new is too new for your program? No level of new is too new. Awesome. If, if you, and, and that's, that was my biggest, I wanted to break through as an instructor is we see it too much. And I don't mean that as a, as mm -hmm. any sort of a bash, right? But there, there needs to be a certain maybe level of skill that a person needs to possess for a certain level of training that right. they're going to receive from, from somebody's curriculum. But what I didn't want is I didn't want to discourage the most important, you know, like this is the most important demograph that needs the training. And they're the ones that are typically pushed away from training. And that's the new shooters right. that want the experience, that want to, to gain the knowledge. But they're told like, nah, sorry, my curriculum is really based around you need to be C class or B class or better. Mm. You know, to understand these concepts, I want you to be A class or better. Mm. Why on earth would I want to limit that market, right? You know, like these A class guys get this kind of stuff. The ones that really need it are these ones that are new, right? That not the guys could who are make these humongous gains in mm. their in their their experience and in their level of performance if you just let them in. Well, not only that, like you're saying, not just let them in. Uh, those are the guys that are on the fence. Exactly. You give them that little nugget, and then they're like. Boom, I'm rolling with this right. because you were willing to take them on. And it's a GM taking you on. It's not just some dude telling you, hey, do this because I think it's a good idea. Right. It's a, a practice and proven style. And I, I did see it in, in, in the curriculum. It, it does teach you how to practice for yourself as well, yes. which is really great. Um, so these, these newer <clears throat> shooters coming in, being able to get that, it's like, well, I'm in instead of getting pushed away. And maybe that was the end of it. They get pushed out of a class and that's the end. They're like, I'm not gonna shoot anymore. I'm never gonna get there to be able to take that class anyway. Obviously there's personality quirks and differences when people do carry on. But the fact that you're willing to take those brand new guys in, in the sport on, and it's like, here we go. That's right. You know, and I, and I told them, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I don't have a, you have to have a minimum level of this, you know, skill or, you know, of this experience to come take a class. I've had, I've had shooters literally bought their first gun six months ago. And like I said, I've put them on the line right next to guys like AJ and you and, and Leighton and guys that are like cream of the crop. These guys have been doing it a long time. Yeah. And everybody's been able to learn equally, but at their own level, at their own pace, and not have the new person feel like they were slowing the class down, nor have that new person feel like they're overwhelmed with you know, like, oh my God, this guy's talking to Raul and I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Like, right. and not having it feel like they're overwhelmed and they're in over their head. And to me, that's important. And I think a lot of that just comes with personality, but mm -hmm. also with just that individualized attention. You know, I'm not gonna have a, a brand new shooter that just really has started to feel pretty confident being able to draw a pistol, you know, like safely and effectively. I'm not probably going to push them to have a one second draw. Right. You know, as well as I'm not going to push them to have a sub two second like transition drill. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm not saying it's not in their in their realm of conceivability or, or possibility of what it's they can do. It's just not time now. It, right, exactly. Yeah. It's now is not the time because that's not the, the lowest hanging, or that's not the biggest piece of fruit they can pick right. 
that's going to make the biggest difference in there. You know, if I can get them to understand cadence or I can get them to understand the difference between shot splits and shot transitions, if I can get them to understand the relationship of proper grip pressures, you know, and mm -hmm. how those can, you know, can influence how the sights steer and how to call a shot. And anybody within 10 minutes of their first time picking up a gun, you can teach them properly how to call a shot if they're just paying attention to the process versus a result, yeah. you know? And like to me, okay, they're gonna make bigger gains on those kind of things. You know, maybe somebody like you that, okay, I understand the concept of calling shots. I understand the concept, okay, great. Now I'm gonna push you in a completely different way to con to challenge you and your skill set, yeah. so that you can get past your plateaus and do that with the next person and the next person. So and you saw that over the weekend. I, I saw you do that over the weekend, yep. and it was really impressive. Uh, let's go back to that process of what you were explaining with the shot calling, so that if somebody is sitting there and they're like <clears> listening, <throat> like shit, I want to be able to be be better at that. Mm -hmm. um, the process itself of that of calling a shot. So what calling a shot is right is is we're trusting. Like everybody knows what sights are on a gun. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would assume just about every listener here is a, is a gun person, yeah. has gone to the range and, and aimed a gun at a target, right? So they know to, to line the sights up or if they're, they're shooting a red dot pistol, you know, or a rifle or whatever, to, to put the dot, superimpose it on the target and do all they can to kind of hold that still. And then presto changeo, they pull the trigger and a hole appears on that target, mm -hmm. right? But so many shooters will then look over the gun. And that's the chasing the result versus Correct. the Correct. They'll look over the gun to look at the work that they've accomplished, right? They, mm -hmm. they wanna look to see that result on the target. So they're, they're, they're looking for that feedback that way. And what calling a shot is, is trusting the equipment that you're holding in your hands to not just be, I kind of put it, you know, kind of a cheesy way. It's, it's, it's an expensive hole punch, right? That's, yeah. that's what a gun is. But it's also, it's the most important feedback tool, right? It's, it's the, the, the important recording device or feedback tool in our own performance and our own manipulations, our own influences on it. It can tell us a lot about what we're doing to it or what we're asking it to do if we're willing to listen. So mm -hmm. shot calling is a lot about being able to not, not just use those bumpy things on the top as, as a device to, to aim where to put a hole, but to also know where the hole was put without having to look at the target, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it, it comes from, everybody hears the term sight picture, right? And everything preaches, you know, front sight, sight picture, align it up, you know, watch this the front sight and keep that sight picture going. And then you're taking that picture by pulling the trigger. But nobody really thinks of it as like a sight movie. You know, what did the, what were the sights doing? How are, how was I managing those sights to an acceptable level all the way as I press, instead of pressing a snapshot or pressing the, the shutter, you know, yeah. being the trigger, but pressing record with the trigger, right? So it's just like holding a camera still. Yeah. And if I hit record, but I'm out of focus, right? I'm gonna have a very out of focus recording or video recording of what it is I'm trying to capture on film. Mm -hmm. um, the same can be said with a, with a camera, but typically you snap a, snap a camera shutter so fast, it still can take a snapshot in time and hold something in, hold something still but a gun's not that way right you know we're constantly uh, we, their input of how we breathe Everything. or you know just how our muscles are fatiguing and while we're holding that gun out in front of us will cause the sights to move around yeah so I mean, we're on a ball in space that's orbiting you know like movement is going to be a constant no e matter what exactly 
So being, you know, instead of trying to hold the sites perfectly still, hold them, hold them to an acceptable level, right? So gripping the gun and managing that sight picture means just that, managing it. I'm just going to manage this sight picture, even if it's wobbling around, and then I'm simply going to press record with my trigger, right, to record that second or so before the shot fires and pay attention to what the sights tell me all the way up until how that front sight or that dot begins to lift and recoil. Mm -hmm. But then the moment it begins to lift, I'm done. Like I'm, I don't need to look at the target to see where the hole's at because I can trust that the gun gave me all of the feedback necessary because I was watching it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I have to cognitively be aware. I have to be able to watch and not close my eyes or not flinch or, but I have to, if, if visually I'm seeing those things happen in the sights, I'll immediately know that shot's going to be low left. That yeah. shot's going to be, I anticipate that kind of healed the gun up, you know, in anticipation. I, I punched the gun out just a little bit while the shot fired, almost like a pre-ignition push. Yeah. And that, that shot's going to be high. I don't need to look at the target to observe that, yep, that shot was high, and then have to start that process all over again to make it up. I saw it happen in real time from the sights. Something different about that shot told me then to immediately allow the sights to follow up and take another shot to make that that bad shot up with a good sight picture or sight video. Yeah, and that's just with time and practice, right? Understanding what those are doing, you're creating those mental files and then you're referencing them quickly. Right. And that's how you get better, right? And you just have more and more and more exposure to them. So right looks right and wrong looks wrong. And then you're like, shit, it was wrong. I need to make it right. Uh, and that's kind of what you're saying. And it, Absolutely. You just well, need time behind. And in practice and training, we do that, right? right. So we're learning how to build like the, those like neuroreceptors to understand like that's a good sight picture. Right, so we do a shot calling drill in the class that that has you and a and a partner working together, and you'll shoot a target that's already been shot up. You know, that's got a fresh target on the backside of it. Or a lot of times, we'll just pull the distance back. It's whatever it is. What I don't want you to be able to see is your resultant the hole, impacts, right? Right, in the, in the target. I want you to trust what the sights told you, and then I want you not to take a guess. And that's you know, shooters all the time they'll take their one or two shots, and they're like, well, I guess that's probably about here. But they have their partner plot on a fresh target standing next to them with a paster. Yep. And you tell your partner where you perceive that, where the sights began to lift and recoil on the, you know, superimposed on your target, where you believe that that shot would impact on the target. Mm-hmm. And it goes from, I guess, to what well, I think, or what I think I saw, to I saw this. And if I can get them to connect those things together, right, then it becomes almost a, a, a method of, I don't need to call all the, all the shots, because 95% of the time, all those shots are going to look the same. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to be hyper aware when I see something different, different than what I'm yeah. used to seeing. And so I don't need to call the good ones, but I sure as hell need to call the bad ones. And I can call the bad ones because something was different in what I was processing, right? Yeah. That information change was different. Oh, man, I saw the sights dip as I was trying to move out of there, I need to go back and make a shot up on that. Yeah. And I can do it instantaneously. So instead of like shooting and then moving the gun down out of your line of sight so you can look at the target, and then like, oh, I need to make that up, that takes time, Yeah. right? And in the sport, time is of the essence. Time is everything. For sure. In, in everything that we do, anytime that you employ a gun, you're under a time constraint, Yeah. right? So to then have to like repress the gun back out, reacquire the sights and start that process all over again, now I have doubled or even tripled the amount of time it would have taken me, you know, it took me 
to make a shot up on that or to fix the missed shot instead of just trusting what the sites told me and I can make that shot up in a third the time. Hmm. Right? All because you have the information to reference. Exactly. And, and I like that. I like the fact that it goes from looking for what's right to knowing what's right and not only looking for what's wrong. Exactly. And fixing that. You, like, you recognize level. You recognize the failure quickly. Yeah. Right? Because everything we do in practice, right, is always about like, wow, we, we, want, to, we want to practice perfect. No. No, I really don't want to practice perfect. And that may go against, you know, the utter beliefs of every scientific person ever. You know, <laughs> like perfect practice is what makes perfect. No. Perfect practice makes basically the, the redundancy. You're mm -hmm. not getting better at anything, yeah. right? Practice should always be exp experimental, experiential, yeah, you know, like you should you always be pushing the limits of something. Yeah. You know, if my practice is ever just, it was comfortable. Yeah. I didn't practice, I yeah. plinked. You just had fun, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There should be these uncomfortable moments where progress is being made. Always. Um, and even just the words, right? And words matter, right? Words paint these pictures and the whole perfect practice thing. If you had a perfect practice, then what was it really? Um, there was no progress anymore. It was just perfect. And then that's the end of that. I had a great teacher um, tell me it's not perfect practice. What you want and what you seek is purposeful practice. Yeah. And dude, I latched on to that. was intent. like, that's that's in my heart. Like, yeah. that's what I tell people now. Yeah, like, but, it's, I'm, and what I feel like is with my curriculum and in, in, in my class is I want to teach you how to have a practice session that is purposeful, how to go to the range and practice with a purpose. You know, if you feel like, man, I want to get good at transitions. Great. I've given you some wonderful purposeful drills for sure that are designed to reinforce what it was you learned in class yeah. and be able to reinforce your understanding of it. But then also to give you like that catalyst to explore it on your own yeah. more. You know, and, and the same for shot calling, the same for movement, the right. same for, you know, having the gun up ready to shoot sooner. You know, all of these, all of these techniques and all of these, these methods, I'm, that's, I thought, okay, these are important. So now I need to build purposeful practice drills or, you know, or things yeah. like that so that somebody can go to the range and like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this, this, and this today. And I'm going to focus on this, this, and this within these three drills and I get something from it, yeah. you know, and it's measurable. That's awesome. So, and, and you know, what's really great about, about the class is that's kind of what I picked up. So all the drills, all the things going on and the programming, and I saw, okay, cool. I can use this drill to better this. I can use this drill to better that. And then it excited me to take the class again. That's awesome. I'm like, okay, That's cool. Awesome. This is going to make me better here, here, here. And then I'm going to work on it, try to develop, try to get uncomfortable, push these limits, hopefully get better and all of that. And then take the class again and see where you can fine tune that. Absolutely. Because there's always stuff to get better on. And, and I know if I get better just at this, that was enough for me, right? And I'm not chasing classes to get better. I'm chasing classes to figure out how to make myself better, not right. be better that day, right? And a lot of people expect results the day of. And it really, a class is you go there, you pick up what you need, you fix what you needed to be, what you needed to fix, and then you apply it again later. And your class is one of the few classes where I'm like, I need to take it again so that we can then evaluate this on a manageable scale too, because sometimes when it, when it is very, and I think this is one of those things where, where there is a lot of individual attention, mm -hmm. it, it can also become kind of like, hey, I need more. 
right? And we talked about it a little bit, um, but that's how good it is. That's how good your one-on-one attention is, even in a group setting, um, that that people are almost like, they almost forget everybody else is there and it's just them, <laughs> right? And then they ask for more and want more. But that's truly a testament to the ability that you have within a group setting to give individual attention, which is really great. Again, Thank we, you. We, we talk about that over and over. Uh, I know we've talked about it a few times, but it's, it's that important, folks. Um, so not to give away any more of your program or class, definitely take it. Uh, where can people find you? I'm all over. Um, so timheronshooting.com awesome. um, is a, a, my website. And it's it's pretty basic, but it gives a breakdown of exactly what you can expect. Um, it kind of lists what the curriculum, it lines out the entire curriculum um, for a two-day course for my two-day practical performance course. Sorry, AJ, I took your name. <laughs> <laughs> I think he understands. Um, yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> but I also offer like four-hour clinics. I do mini clinics. I do uh, like competition uh, classifier clinics as well. Um, I, I also do you know private training. I do one-on-one coaching. I do online coaching. Awesome. So we can sit down like for a Skype session. And you know, be able to, to talk to each other face to face, but you know from across the globe, and and like build training programs, you know, and, and help regiment your training. So if you feel like, man, I'm just I'm stuck in a slump, and I need help with this, great, I've got some great tools. Like let's apply these, and I get feedback and homework from students all the time with that. Um, so timheronshooting.com. I'm also on on Facebook. I've, I've got Tim Heron Shooting, which is just my like kind of athlete page or business yeah. page. Um, or just Tim Heron on Facebook. I've also Tim Heron shooting. You'll see a trend here. Uh, Tim Heron shooting on Instagram. Awesome. Um, so I, I try to share information even on Instagram. Sometimes it's just, you know, kind of pretty cool, like exhibition videos, you know, fast yeah. reloads, fast draws, stuff like that. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is again, Tim Heron shooting that I'm always, I, I, I try to provide content pretty regularly, pretty regularly. It's hard sometimes it, it being on tough. the road. I know it, it, it sure yeah. is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things there, I, we get, I, I kind of get down in the weeds a little bit about shot calling and, um, like my barrel drill, which is, yeah. you know, uh, it's kind of become a little bit more of a famous drill like yeah. over the weekend at my Shout classes. Shout out AJ for yeah. taking number two patch on that. Number two patch. Yeah. AJ Zito. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that's, uh, so I've got a lot of different outlets as far as information that I share and a lot of stuff I do give away. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, the only thing I don't do is Twitter. <laughs> just, uh, just, it's a I, relic. Yeah. yeah. You wanna, you know? <laughs> so, and, and I think my MySpace might be out there someplace. But I, <laughs> it's got you like yeah, 20 years younger. 20 years younger. Yeah. Still got the background music that yeah. I don't even know what it was on I don't page. even know what mine is either. Jeez. Oh my God, it's been I hope ages. nobody looks for me because <laughs> it's probably really weird. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, and so I'm, I'm, um, guys that are maybe familiar with like primary and secondary, which is kind of another, um, kind of a lot of LE military guys. Um, there's just a lot of really good feedback and information stuff there. I'm, I'm kind of one of the the moderators on their, nice. their Facebook page too. Yeah. And I try to provide content and things like that, but yeah, I mean, between trying to be a content creator and then be a full-time trainer, it's like, man, it's, yeah. it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's a it's lot of work. It's an overwhelming job. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of work and I don't think people, sometimes I think people just skip over the fact that taking the time to put out good content requires time. Right. So it can't always be every day, all the time. Um, so giving it time to to make it better should be something people are okay with and be patient. Uh, I know we, we experience that all the time. When's this coming? When's that coming? I was like, hey, man, we're trying to give you the best thing possible. Right. Just not just the first bit. thing. Yeah, not just, like, yeah, not just what yeah. spewed into my brain and here we go. Um, so 
Awesome, man. You've gotten me excited. I know I'm, I, I've already spoken to, to Chris from Triarch Systems and I'm getting a awesome. 2011 and I'm going to start running that. And uh, man, thank you. That was a big push for me. You and AJ are big motivators now. And uh, oh, yeah, it's going to be on. I can't thank you enough. That's Dude. cool. Yeah. So thanks for coming on, dude. I really appreciate your time. I know you're you're headed back to uh, Albuquerque, right? You're Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not far, man. Not too far. Hopefully no, we can five and a half, six yeah. hours away or so. Uh, and then good news: Fast Tech Training in Kansas City agreed to the twelfth and thirteenth of September. Fantastic. So okay. yeah. um, let's get that up on your calendar whenever you have time, and you then people it. can start signing up for that. So I'll be there. Tim will be there. Um, where, what's the sign up? Is that on uh, um, Tim Aaron's shooting? I don't typically do the signups there. Generally, I'll have like the class host okay. um, kind of do like registrations and, okay. and, and collecting signup things for me. Um, we can line that out. Yeah, let's like, do that. Just uh, uh, Yeah, we'll do that with those guys. And then, uh, folks, if you're in the Kansas City, Missouri area, before I get chewed up again, uh, and I almost stopped, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even you looked at me with your eyes peeled back. I was like, back. here we go. Whoa, here we go. <laughs> uh, if you guys are in the area, and I know for sure, uh, I already have at least seven people that are in oh, dude, without even awesome. without even questioning it because of the guys that we have there, the resources there, they're all good shooters. They're all willing to do this and we're going. So the Sweet. 12th and the 13th, keep an eye out for that date of September. We'll be in Kansas City, Missouri with Tim doing Tim's really kick-ass program. If you guys have the time, go to that. Uh, I'm excited to go to that and it's not even that far away. I'm like, I'm going to work on the things I need to. I'll bring that new blaster that I'm getting from Triarch Systems. Dude, it's awesome. And you're, I'm going to be like, hey, just one more bit that I can fix. Let's do it. We'll just do that. Little by little, uh, I'm never looking to gain huge leaps and bounds, but it's the little progress. It's the little stones that pave the path, right? No, let's so, do it. Thanks again for being on, brother. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Awesome. All right, folks. Till next time. Later. Later.